the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I am glad that I can worship with men and women from every race and every culture who agree with me at times and who vigorously disagree with me at times and that I can learn from them and they can learn from me. But more profoundly than this, I am glad that I belong to Jesus and that He is in His Spirit in the stew pot. He holds us together. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message is entitled, The Pot of Stew. Again, The Pot of Stew. We hope you enjoy it. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888 244 Hope. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco. We want to be a part of a pot of stew that's cooked just right, that has the flavor of love in it, and that is just what a dying world needs to know. And thank you that in Jesus, the pot of stew is good food. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we are living in a time in American history where different political philosophers are trying to define the future by relegating the diversity of our country into a single whole that sacrifices a person or group's personal and ethnic identity for the sake of the whole. It's a collectivism kind of thing. It almost reminds me of what was transpiring in the French Revolution. In 1782, J. Hector a Frenchman, he posited the idea of a melting pot. By this Frenchman who first came up with the idea, American culture has been likened ever since, it's been taught in our school system, as a massive melting pot. Now in this idea, different cultures come from diverse backgrounds to this country, and they're all, all out of necessity, it is said, melted together, that leaves the old cultural uniqueness far behind. This is the idea of a vulcanized America. Unfortunately, this view has tended to run roughshod over individual people, liberties, and cultures. It has tended to encourage and even suggest that one's ethnic heritage and cultural background must be sacrificed in the boiling cauldron of the hot new mix of the melting pot of America. And this melting pot view of America often results in minority groups feeling bad and rightfully so because they are marginalized by the larger group, by the collectivist whole, feeling like they have to forget where they came from, who they are in order to belong to the new group. Unfortunately, from time to time, some racist outcomes have resulted from the melting pot mentality in American culture and history. However, there are aspects of the melting pot view that most of us would appreciate if you could leave the bad part out of it. For instance... It's a good thing for everyone to come together and get along, isn't it? It's a good thing for pressure and the heat of trials to melt and blend us at times so that we are stronger than before. 
When a country is attacked, it needs a strong sense of unity to withstand the attack. But I think most of us can sense that it is a tragic thing to forget your personal and cultural roots. It's a tragedy to sacrifice your individuality for the sake of the whole. And so there's a tension between these two ideas. Now, on the other side of the spectrum is the salad bowl theory. It's a more modern invention in political philosophy that offers an intellectual option to the melting pot idea put forth in 1782. Now, in this theory, which is really a reaction to the harmful outcomes or components of the melting pot theory, different groups in the salabo of all cultures exist separately as they maintain their differences and their parts away from the whole. They're in the bowl, but they're not really together that much. The salabo is there, but the parts don't intermingle in this theory. The problem with this view is that it pushes cultural individualism so far that we lose a a common bond that gives us a sense of patriotism, love of country. When the country is attacked, it's hard for a salad bowl to defend the country. Now, there's another option that's out there that makes better sense than either of these, I think. And this one looks like it has some real power and promise to it. It's called the stew pot theory or the ethnic stew. Now, in the stew pot theory, every ingredient comes together to create the whole pot of stew, but not quite as far as the melting pot goes. In the stew pot, you can still appreciate the individual character of the parts. You can tell that they are distinct, and yet it contributes to the savor and flavor of the whole. The elements form a whole without losing the individual characteristics that make the individual parts unique, special, and savory. Together, all the diverse elements create a common stew where all the pieces produce something tasty and desirable and healthy too. Now, this latter way of looking at things, I believe, is the biblical way of looking at the church. We are not a melting pot where you come and you forget where you came from, where you let go of your diversity. We are not also a salad bowl where you hang on to everything and don't care about the whole. We're really a stew pot in the plan of God where God has brought us together. Yes, we are different. Yes, we have diversity. We hang on to that part of it, but we come together to create a single common savory meal for the world that needs the knowledge of the love of God. That stew pot of God's kingdom, friend, is the Christian church. And I'm happy to be in the pot. The church by divine election is the great stew pot that is God's kingdom right here on earth. And as such, it is the extension of the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly stew pot, the diverse universe has its extension right here on earth. There is unity and diversity in God's kingdom. When God calls a man or woman to come to Jesus Christ, he asks that person to become a part of his royal kingdom family. But he does not ask that person to forget who they are as a sacred person and individual in his calling. When the church is rightfully fitted, the diversity of the church, friend, is celebrated within the unity of the church, which is paramount because all the individual elements are a part of the body of Christ, the stew pot of God's kingdom. And all of its diversity. Have you noticed that God's church is diverse? Yes or no? Have you figured that out? I like it. I know, based on Paul, the mystery of God is manifest in the diversity of the church. In all of its diversity, love holds the church together. Kindness celebrates the different roles that each person and cultural group has to play. 
To function properly, we must appreciate the whole. Faith and hope guide the church and the Holy Spirit to preserve the unity of the church in the midst of a factious and broken world. And the stew pot itself, friend, is a delicious recipe that draws people to the table of God to feed on the Word of God. I hear people getting up in the pulpit. I hear them saying, well, everybody needs to be the same in the church. They don't know what Jesus died for. Christ died for a diverse church. He died for a church with all these different beautiful elements that would be one in Him. And the recipe, friend, that is the church of Jesus Christ is a recipe that only God knows fully. But the flavor of His loving stew pot kingdom is just right for a world that needs to know the love of God. So I affirm this morning, before we open our scripture, I am glad that I belong to the stew pot that is the kingdom of God, the Christian church. What about you? Can you say amen to that? And I am glad that I can be who I am in the church, and I sometimes am a mess. You can say amen to that too. And I can be something altogether new in Jesus at the same time. And I am grateful for people who let me, you know, work through those two tensions in my life. I am glad that I can worship with men and women from every race and every culture who agree with me at times and who vigorously disagree with me at times. And that I can learn from them and they can learn from me. But more profoundly than this, I am glad that I belong to Jesus and that He is in His Spirit in the stew pot. He holds us together. Friend, when the church comes together in service for the lost of this world for which it was established, the stew pot that is His church, which is there to create a flavor that will save the world, the love of God in the stew pot, I am glad that when we come together in this way, the life of God is in that stew pot. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings 4.38. We will be focusing on this story in the life of Elisha, which teaches us how God can heal the stew pot. Verse 38, 2 Kings chapter 4. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Now, I don't know about you, I like cooking. You like cooking? I've been in the South here a little bit, and my accent just slipped back. I noticed that. I love Southern cooking. I also love multi-ethnic cooking. But I cook, and we have had hot fires in our house. One time, actually, we almost burned the house down because a stove fire just lit up the kitchen and put carbon all over the place. It was a $20-something-thousand-dollar insurance settlement. Don't cook that way. But cooking in the church, I come to these potluck fellowships and I look at the love and the effort that goes into it. And I see fellowship there. I don't see any other times. I wish we had it more often. I know there's a lot of work. But man, it's like the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there they did. They came there and the prophet said, put that large pot, boil it for the sons of the prophets. Now this was a time of famine. In the Bible, a famine is often a metaphor for a time. When men and women are hungry for the Word of God and the truth is hard to find. Have you ever had a time like that in your life? Just wished you could get the Bible right, wished that you could sink correctly with God's Word and it wasn't happening. That's a famine time. When Abram goes south to Egypt in Genesis 12, 10, he comes from Ur of the Chaldees. He's not quite there with God. And there's a famine in the land and he goes south to Egypt. We go south to Egypt sometimes to the world when there's a famine for the word of God in our life. We often drift away from God because we don't have the right food or we're not feeding in our devotional life. And that happened to Abraham. And when that happens, friend, 
God raises up a prophet to bring us back to his word and to bring his word to us. I'm grateful for the prophets of the Bible. Are you? And you know, that's not all. I'm grateful for the prophet that God gave us in the 19th century that delivered us the testimony of Jesus and those wonderful devotional books that we know of the Conflict of the Ages series. And the best one of them all is the book, The Desire of Ages, on the life of Christ. So when God raises up a prophet to bring us back to his word and to bring us to Jesus, we better not ignore that person's intervention because it's not about the person, it's about the testimony of Jesus. I, for one, could care less what a philosopher king theologian has to say in the church. Did you hear me? I want to know what God has to say in his word. I want to hear the voice of Jesus in his word. And I'm hungry every day of my life for the loving, powerful presence of the word of God in Christ in my life. Abraham became a stranger in Egypt because it was a famine in Canaan. Isaac experienced the same thing. Sometimes it can skip to a generation. There was a famine in the land. He went to Gerar, which in the Hebrew tongue means sojourning or stranger. The land of strangers to kind of get some food. When God's servants are not feeding people from God's word, when we are not interacting with the Bible daily in our devotional life, sometimes we can slip into experts outside the church or go other places looking for something to fill the void. But friend, what we need is Jesus in his word. When Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem, there had been a famine that drove them out. They returned because they had heard that God had visited his people and given them bread. Now you know this, Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. Beit Lechem, house of bread. And it is always true that God's house is by design the place where the word of God is to be shared that fills the life and the heart. In the Christian church that is right with God. And there are churches that aren't. And we could be wrong with God if we are not committed to his word and saving others. In the Christian church that's right with God, there is food in the house of God. And the stew pot that is the church should have the savor of life in it that comes from the Word of God. You know, but there was a problem in Elisha's day. That evil queen Jezebel from Sidon led her husband, King Ahab, who was an Israelite. She led him away from God. She seduced the people of God to follow Baal, the fertility God. I mean, that's happening in our culture too, isn't it? We have the media industry seducing many a Christian to forget devotional time as they pop in that DVD disc or they download that video file that corrupts their soul just as much as if they were worshiping under a Baal idol in antiquity. And so God's people in our time can be at risk just like they were in Elijah's time. And God raised up the prophet Elijah. Elijah stood tall against the threat And he prophesied that no rain would fall for three and a half years until that evil prophetess Jezebel and her influence was ripped from the land. And at the end of the famine, God brought fire down from heaven on Elijah's altar. And it was miraculously indicated that the altar of Elijah was blessed. And the people cried out in awe, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Which means, my God is the Lord. My God is the Lord. My God is the Lord. His name was a rebuke to the problems of the time. And then as he prayed, a cloud began to come from the distance and rain fell and the famine ended and the rain fell. It was a flood of rain because when God brings rain into your life, your heart, he floods you with the grace of God. When men and women find God and they repent and they let the fire of God fall, the rain of God falls 
through the pure and unblemished word of the prophet, and the famine ends and the food grows again. Elisha saw all of this, and his generation did too. Elijah was a mighty man of God. He had taken the place of Elijah. You know, though, revivals can fade away. Just because one generation had a revival does not mean the next generation will have a revival. And these sons of the prophets grew up in a time when fathers were hard to find. And so prophets under Elisha mentored these prophets as fathers because they didn't have father figures. This whole innovation in worship called Baal worship had ripped the family structure apart, had devastated Israel. And so the prophets stood in the gap to be new fathers in Israel. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Now Gilgal was associated with the Oak of Morah in the Bible. It was the place where the Canaanites sought counsel with the pagan gods When the children of Israel entered the promised land, they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. God had miraculously opened up the Jordan River as they came through, and they walked through it on dry ground, just like the Exodus. I mean, this was a sacred spot, and right there at Gilgal, they took 12 stones from that riverbed, and they set up a monument to God's power and glory for the next generation. The Hebrew word eben for stone is very similar to the Hebrew word ben for sun. So 12 stones were taken to symbolize the 12 sons of Jacob, the tribes of Israel that were distinct and yet unified in the stew pot that became the people of God. The purpose of this monument was plainly stated in Joshua 4, verse 21 to 24. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Look at verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is, what is the key word there? Is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now the fear of the Lord means to love him with respect. You see, God works in a new generation to perform a mighty act that was unknown to the past, but it's similar to it, to show that he is not the God of the past only. He's the God of the living, friend. God is calling on us to have a new venture in faith, to go through a new Red Sea at reaching hearts, and to have stone monuments for the future that will declare to a generation yet unseen that God has visited us with power. You see, it's possible for a generation to forget how great God was in the past. And when you forget God in this way, you need to be reminded that God, who worked miracles in the past, is the same God of victory that can make miracles happen in your life today. Friend, the same God who delivered the pioneers of this church and established it at the end of the 23-year prophecy is the same God that's going to take us home to glory and get us through the mark of the beast. 
So 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel that were 12 distinct tribes, but one nation under God that moved together as one people, treasuring the distinctive differences of the tribes. Gilgal is the place that the monument was set up. In Joshua 5 verse 10, the people of Israel were camped at Gilgal when the manna stopped falling on the Passover. And the day after Passover, the Bible says they ate the produce of the land at Gilgal. The first time they ate food from the field instead of manna, it happened at Gilgal. Gilgal was the place you could find food in the field. Joshua 5 verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Now they just come out of the wilderness. The 40 years are over. Verse 11, and the day after the Passover on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You know, near that place, Joshua met the preexistent Christ with a sword drawn in hand. And he bowed down to him and worshipped him near Gilgal. You see, friend, where there is food for God to be found, the fields of God, there is very likely that is the spot where Jesus can be found in your life. And you can bow down right there where there is food and have the living Christ. In Joshua 2.1, the angel of the Lord went from Gilgal, and that is the term for the pre-existent Christ, to Bochim, which means in Hebrew, the place of weeping. This is after the death of Joshua. And there the pre-existent Christ pronounced judgment on Israel because they had not obeyed the voice of God. In time, Gilgal, that great spot of faith, became a place of apostasy where idols were worshipped instead of God. In time, Gilgal became the place of bold sinning and bold rebellion against God. The prophets cried out against the sins of Gilgal, prompted by the Holy Spirit in their time. Hosea 4.15, Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up into beth Avim, which means house of sin, and swear not as the Lord lives. Hosea 9.15, every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. And their princes are rebels. Verse 16, Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. I mean, they had totally separated themselves from the covenant blessings of God. Amos 4.4, I think, says it the most succinctly. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. And so the text is full of drama in 2 Kings 4.38. And Elisha came to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. When a place has been full of sin for a long time, when a town has forgotten the faith of the ancient past, when famine is set in, when the things of God are lost, God raises up a generation like the sons of the prophet to fix that place, to renew it in the plan of God. And He sends a prophet. He calls on a godly generation of youth to get it right with God and to mentor at the feet of a man of God for the sake of the people of God. And so Elisha came to Gilgal with a godly purpose. He set up Operation Get It Right at Gilgal. The place that was the bad land became the special place of ministry 
for Elisha and the sons of the prophets. Elisha wasn't looking for some hideaway house in the hills to get away from sin and sinners. You know, prepperism has taken over the Christian church at this time in many circles. We're called to seek and to save the lost and to live as salt in communities that need Christ. We're not called to run to the hills at this time of earth's history. He wasn't looking for a generation of do-gooders that needed no deliverance from transgression. Elisha went to Gilgal where he could make a difference where the people needed it the most. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenka was the first portion of the pot of stew. That's the pot of stew. Go to reachingyourheart.com right now if you'd like to download a copy. Well, as you probably know, survival is big business these days. People spend thousands of dollars on wilderness survival camps. They want to learn how to survive in light of unprecedented natural disasters, the potential of a nuclear attack or civil unrest. But how do you spiritually survive life's disasters? The new book entitled Ultimate Survival will give you practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. This is a great book, and we'd love you to have it right now. It's titled Ultimate Survival. You'll discover keys to physical, mental, and spiritual survival you may not know existed. Call right now, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us, To further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area or passing through, we'd love to welcome you to our church family. Stop by Reaching Hearts International and join us for a worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. The address for the church is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. If you're wondering how to get a copy of today's broadcast, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy or listen right there in on-demand audio format. Again, the address for the website is reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.